Well, a little a little side point here on our a little side point on our uh, passage from our gospel. This is um, in America. We have this is really a, a Protestant Christian nation that we live in. It's really not a Catholic Christian nation, and uh, so many of our brothers and sisters, Protestant brothers and sisters, they have there's kind of a spirituality out there. They call it, you know, being referred to as a, a born again spirituality. And this is the famous text that they get that from. Has there anybody, anybody here ever been approached and asked, are you, are you born again? Okay. And, uh, of course, you know, they, they mean the best of the world. It's just, it's their understanding of their religion and, uh, they want, uh, you know, in a lot of ways it's to their credit because they, you know, they have enough, uh, courage to want to, they have a good thing and they want to share the good thing with someone else. Um, there, there's a kind of a misunderstanding though. So, uh, next time as a Catholic you're approached by someone who asks you if you're born again, you can say, absolutely, I was baptized about two months after I was born, and it was then that I was born again of water and the Spirit. And then you can ask them, have you been born of water and the Spirit? Because sometimes the born again Christians actually have not even been baptized. Sometimes. Sometimes they haven't even been baptized. Uh, so this is a text that's referring to the sacrament of baptism, not to some kind of conversion experience, because that's how they interpret it, being born again is some kind of a, a conversion experience. Um, the, uh, another a, a principle that the born-again Christians would hold near and dear to their heart is that the Bible is very clear. Okay, And uh, so you can um, kind of base your conversation with them on, on their own presuppositions. So you'd say, well, if the Bible's really clear, don't you think um, pretty much like what everybody has always thought a given passage meant would be the meaning of that passage? If it's a clear Bible, don't you think you know, you'd know you want to go by what everybody's always thought this passage to have meant? And uh, it's a historical fact that only probably starting in about the 18th century has this text been interpreted in terms of a kind of a a religious experience as opposed to having to do with the sacrament of baptism. So Christians from 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, and pretty much the 16th and 17th century have always seen this text as having to do with baptism. So the interpretation of this text is some kind of a religious experience that you have to have to be considered a true Christian and to be saved uh, is a very recent interpretation of the text. Uh, so that's just, you know, a little, little side note here about Christ's uh, conversation here is very profound. He's speaking about the mystery of grace, the grace that comes to us through the sacrament of baptism. And uh, I'm going to just draw your attention to this one phrase that he uses. He says, the wind blows where it wills, and you can hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And uh, the, the analogy here is kind of, it's very vivid. You have the wind and the wind being invisible. You know, you, you see it, it's effects. It's, there's, a, there's a kind of a, a facticity to it, meaning that it's, the wind is just a fact. But yet at the same time, the wherefore and the why for is a little mysterious. Now, in our modern scientific age, we could probably explain the wind a little bit better than they could in Jesus' day, but the point still remains is that there are, there are certain things that you know to be the case, even if you can't explain them. Okay? 
Um, this happens in a court of law all the time. Someone, uh, you know, looks like there's all of this evidence lined up against them. They really look guilty. You know, you got all this converging evidence that really seems to be against them. Suddenly, in the last minute, an alibi is produced. The guy just simply was was in this other place at the time the crime was committed, and you just the people can't explain the jury, and the, neither lawyers, lawyers nor the judge can explain this other evidence. The other evidence really seems to be implicating the guy, but at the same time, we know it to be a fact. We have proof that he wasn't there when the crime was committed. So we know that he didn't do it. How, wherefore, why to explain all this other stuff, we don't know. So that kind of stuff happens all the time. And uh, that's kind of a little analogy here of what Jesus is saying. There's certain mysteries that we believe by faith, uh, such as the Blessed Trinity, that God is one, yet three persons. Um, the, uh, the interplay between God's sovereignty and human freedom, it's very mysterious. Um, and grace, the gift of grace being another one of them. The whole mystery of being born again, what it is to have been given the gift of supernatural life through the sacrament of baptism. Uh, it's, a, it's a great mystery. We don't know the wherefore and the why, but we know that it is the case because we have a reliable witness telling us that it is so, and that is Jesus Christ here who says it's a fact. And unless you're born again, you can't enter into eternal life. So, my brothers and sisters, relying upon the words of Jesus, trusting him utterly, because he can neither deceive nor be deceived. Whatever he says is true, and uh, this is our faith, and this is the grounds uh, of our salvation and our joy this Easter season.